From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya. Tonight we're talking about the sci-fi film The Beyond. So consider this your spoiler warning. Okay, so turn back now if you haven't seen this movie yet and then tune back in. So the first thing tonight, I just wanted to ask you something a bit different, Surrey. Are you working on any science fiction stuff? Well, I could say I've been watching the new Star Trek Discovery. Oh, that's on Netflix. Yep. That's pretty Have you seen that? I've not actually watched that, no. Do you watch much Star Trek at all? I, the old school Star Trek was my world, um, but no, not the not the current sort of version. Oh, okay. Well, so the uh, now Discovery is pretty cool. It's a prequel to the original episodes. Oh, okay. So that's set okay. 20 years before or something okay. along those lines. Clever idea. As a result, they've, they've taken the opportunity to include a number of characters which occur in the original series, we had Mud, whatever his name is, Harry S. Mud, who's a bit of a con man that they bump into, Kirk bumps into later on. And they've got Christopher Pike, uh, who was the original captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in the pilot episode, which was not episode one. They actually cut the pilot up into a two-parter called The Menagerie, where yeah. Christopher Pike famously comes in as this weird wheelchair thing where he can only communicate via little beeps and through a computer because he's been involved in some horrendous accident that's beyond their medical technology to fix. And he wants to go to this planet where these uh, aliens with great big pulsing space brains <laughs> can make uh, hallucinatory realities, um, virtual realities yeah, that yeah, are okay. indistinguishable from actual realities. Yeah, yeah. So he wants to go back there because he's like, well, I'm you know, an action hero rocket pilot yep. and I'm stuck He's not even stuck in a wheelchair. It's even worse. It's more like a Dalek yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, he's got no arms. He's just his head on this box with a beeping flashing light. Uh, so he goes back there. But, so it's it's really quite good. Uh, Sci-fi side note, there is a Black Mirror episode that's like that in the first season where if you remember, there's a woman that goes back through time and we sort of go on that journey with her. And in fact, she's like a quadriplegic oh, in the right. future and she's sort of like reliving those possibilities that she could have had. When right. she was younger, yeah. So just a very similar right. note. And we don't find that out until the sort of the end of the I episode. Don't, I don't remember so. that episode. Yeah, yeah. It's in the first season. Yeah, no, I've yeah, seen yeah. all those ones. But yeah. <laughs> That's a footnote because as you were saying that about that yeah, character, yeah, it's no, a bit it's, similar. It's good. And the thing I like about it, actually, the main character is this uh, woman who is the adopted sister of Spock. So she's a human woman uh, who was adopted by Spock's parents, which is Ambassador Sarek, uh, who's a Vulcan, and I can't remember the name of his wife, who's a human. So she's like Spock's brother, and she's been raised by Vulcans, so she's a bit kind of uh, awkward and out of place. But the really cool thing is her name is Michael. It's just a really good name that suits her, Michael Burnham. And you might think, yeah, how, how do you get away with such a, like it's a clearly male name. It's not like Julian or, uh, one of, or Shannon or something. 
which yeah. can kind of go either way. It's clearly Michael, but it really suits her well because she's got that Vulcan sort of, you know, she's she's not uh, she's not masculine, she's not particularly uh, feminine, but, but it works really well. Actually, it's it's quite good. Yeah, it's a great show. The other the other one I've watched recently, Maniac. You have to watch that. It's a t- it's a series, six okay. episodes. Yep. Jonah Hill. Yep. Oh, yeah, I know the one. Yeah. It's kind of a kind of a comedy, it's a bit of an absurdist yeah, sci-fi yeah. thing. If you, have you seen it? No, but I know the uh, filmmaker kind of background of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's sort of known for a bit of that. You know. Yeah, it's a real. It's got that real. Um, I'm trying to think of what other movies I've seen that are like, but it, it's it's quite bizarre. It involves you know, these people having these hallucinatory journeys and lives dealing with emotional issues and family issues and things. It's, it's just, uh, it's very cool because it's, it's a little bit funny in places, mm. a little bit kind of dark and sad Creepy, in places. Yeah. And it's got this, this uh, one of the lives are in this, actually the whole thing is, is this, this real retro yep. feel. Yeah, right. Retro sort of eighties music. And okay, I'll have to check that out. Well, yeah. I mean, other, other than that, no, I'm still working on I'm working on my other podcast, which is Exit Plan. It's sort of it's more of a contemporary fantasy than it is science fiction. Uh, although the main character, being me, basically is yeah, somewhat scientifically minded, I suppose you might say, in his approach to to the magic and the monsters he comes across. And the, I'm writing a novel of that. Excellent. Uh, but you have in the past mentioned to me that you're writing scripts. For movies or, or short films yeah yeah and you've been working with your wife yeah. as well on some projects yes yeah we have um science fiction related i've actually about a month ago finished a feature film script which is totally science fiction and it's basically about a scientist that discovers that nanobots are part of our world so you know he's a scientist working on the biological side of um insects and he actually discovers that well, this insect he's looking at is actually a nanobot, but it looks like a ant. But yeah, when he's pulling it apart, it's it's a nanobot. So he sort of discovers that robots and nanobots are in our society currently, and it's a bit of a conspiracy by this big company. You know, so yeah, I've I've finished that as a first draft, and then now I'm in the sort of revision stage of that. Oh, that's yeah, so that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so that's totally sci-fi related. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at with. How are you going to get that produced? Well, I'm hopeful to sell it, basically. That's what I want to do with it. So ultimately, I would like to be directing stuff, but at this point of my career, it'd be great just to, you know, pitch it and sell it, really. So looking at avenues to get that out and about, uh, either in the Australian market or in the international market. So, yeah, there's there's some different avenues out there um, to, to submit to. So, yeah, just looking into those at the moment. Yeah, but I'm still revising it first. Yeah, still got yeah, another this, revision before it's ready to go. Oh, geez, the, <laughs> the edits just keep going. Yes, they? they do. Mind do. you, as as a uh, person who has edited the Living Daylights out of a couple of books, which then end up never being released, mm. you've got to draw a line in the sand at some point. Yeah, and have a, a an end date. There is. Yep, I've done that. Uh, with otherwise, my, with the first feature that I finished two years ago, my end date was like a June of that year and, and I made that deadline. I then submitted mm. it uh, to a couple of different places. Um, I got one little bit of feedback from one place uh, and then I was just, and then basically it's sitting there. <laughs> so I know that feeling definitely, but it wasn't, I'm happy with it as it is. Like I'm not going to go back to it and then just move on to the next project. Yeah. I, I, and then just see what the future brings where, where if you have a chance to pitch it to someone else, well then sure. I, th- I think it is key to keep going. 
Yes. There's so many movies. Uh, we talk about Passengers. Yep. The script for that was written a bit over like 10 years yeah, prior to yeah, being made. Yeah, and well it, and truly, yep. It was shuffled about the yep. place. It was yep. changed and swapped around a bit. And yep. it took 10 years before any action. Yeah, yeah. It. So, and I, yeah. I went and saw Bruce Beresford, the great Australian director, give a little talk here in Perth um, about five or six years ago. And, I mean, he's also written a great autobiography book about Hollywood called Josh Harnett Definitely Wants to Do It. And um, he, that's what he talks about. That was such an eye-opening book, that whole thing that scripts do get passed around. You know, mm. sometimes directors are associated and they're literally like paid to kind of be like, oh, you're brought on, you're going to be directing this and it's going into pre-production and six months goes by and then he's like, now you're not on it anymore. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've, given it over. We're, we've given it over to another director. Like it's a, the whole thing has changed. The cast has changed, the producer's changed, and they want a different director. Well, you know, like, yeah, I'm it's, often it's, it's a matter of trying to find, they're, they're trying to find what the market wants. That's or, right, yeah, yeah. Or maybe the pricing of things have mm, changed, yeah. Yeah, new technologies have turned up. Correct, or, yeah. And I mean, he was a big one saying that the actors, the big Hollywood actors, can have such a play in it. Like everyone, everyone else can be ready to go with a script and. They want a particular actor, uh, and he or she's not interested, and then it kind of just shuts down, <laughs> you know. So they kind of had all these guarantees that the thing would be made, but then that actor decides to do a different film, and then the whole thing gets shut down for twelve months. And then they, when they pick it back up, they're like, "Oh, let's just change over to someone totally different now," you know. So yeah, so so yeah, it's a it's a bizarre and complex sort of society here in Australia. It's much more. You know, the traditional level of funding here is government. So it's very much like teams pitching to Screen West, Screen Australia, and then getting grants to make those films. You know, the, the private sector is involved sometimes, but it's it's a lot of the time in the Australian film industry, that sort of government funding model. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, with The Lobster, they had funding from four different countries. Yeah, you know, Ireland, Canada. I think it was Ireland, Canada, France maybe or Spain yeah. or something by memory and uh, yeah or maybe a combination of those so and the budget was four mils so it wasn't this massive budget either you know so and I ended up getting Ireland chucked the funds because I was like if you shoot it here okay well, we'll shoot it there yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah well what sort of budget would you need for your film do you think and well, like, obviously rough I mean look you'd always like it to be a big budget you know Five million, ten million, a hundred million. <laughs> Passengers was a hundred and twelve million. Yeah, that, great, that you know. seemed excessive. It did, but Jennifer Lawrence got twenty mil, so yeah, you know, so plus you, a percentage. So start pulling out the actors. and Chris Pratt was ten or eleven. So if you add, if you think about that, a hundred and ten million and thirty on actors straight away. Just so, those two actors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Andy Garcia's moment at the end was probably worth five hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> that's surprising. So, I see his name in the credits. Isn't that's it. it. And I went back and had a look at the... Uh, I thought, but there's no one else. Yeah, I look no. at the back, he's yeah. dude with all the big beard. Yeah. Out, go. So his entire acting process in that was to cock his head slightly and yeah. raise an eyebrow <laughs> or something. You know, like just and he probably got about 500000 for that, you know. like you know that, But that's what Hollywood also does. The big budget. I, look, I think anything, anything can be made with what you've got. So you could make it in your backyard with zero budget. Uh, but probably ultimately you probably do want about five mil to ten mil to make it. Well, you need enough. Good. Then you have to get it in the the post production because mm. doing the actual filming and actors, you can probably find actors who will basically do it for credit and percentage or something. Correct. Yeah. And likewise, mm. as the director, writer, producer, you know, scrounge up a few cameras and you know borrow some sound equipment. You can probably 
Borrow uh, steel beg is what they always yeah, used to I mean, say. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of films yeah. that got around with yeah, you know, only tens of thousands of dollars. That's right. Yeah, and but then the thing is, once you've got all that footage, you need to edit it, color grade it, yeah. get the sound right. Uh, if there's any CG stuff, you need to get chucked in there, which yeah. often might be the case with yeah, um, yeah, bit of sci-fi. Yeah, and I, I, that script I'm talking about, there would be a bit of CGI, and, and I think that's probably where some money would need to be spent because, again, good CGI is always worth it. <laughs> or how else are you going to do it? You know, uh, robotics yourself, puppetry, whatever, but you've got to kind of pull it off, don't you? But low budget can work quite well sometimes but on that it does make me think of the film we are talking about tonight the beyond because the director behind it major visual effects director before directing beyond yeah i was reading and i and i did think like just automatically one of the amazing things of the beyond is the special effects like the special effects are great you can you can see where they spent their money like they didn't have a huge budget but you can see where they spent it yes you also see where they didn't spend it. Yes, that's right. But yeah. I, I think they did quite well to make it the whole thing not feel too underfunded. You know, no, no, yeah, some didn't. some films you can sort of feel that uh, there's a few. It was the script, I suppose, or the locations were yeah. were too ambitious for the funding that they had. But I think they did quite well. Yeah, and I, I think again, I mean, when I watched this first time through, I just thought the special effects took you know took us on the journey, which it had to because we were out in space. We've got lots of different things with that space agency. You know, we've got uh, human and robot, the humanoid 2.0, the humans 2.0. So those sort of special effects. You know, then we've got, yeah, the wormhole. You know, we've got the space debris. So there's a lot of different special effects that were required in this film and they, they pulled it off. And I reckon that he probably showed his expertise in the fact that he's, you know, made, I think I'm looking him up, he's made about 50 Hollywood films as visual effects, he's worked for Disney. He's worked on some really big Hollywood films like the Batman series, you know, the Christopher Nolan series. Yeah. And so, you know, he's a guy that obviously knows his way around. He's been the chief editor, um, chief director of visual effects. And I think he probably poured that into this film in a way, you know. Yes, he actually was nominated for several Visual Effects Society Awards. Yeah, right. For Planet Dinosaur and America, The Story of Us. Yeah, right. Okay. So, yeah, like you said, visual effects... Expert. Yep. So, well, let's get into it then. Yeah, we should. We should. Was this a hope, a warning, or an experiment? I have to say hope, I reckon, because as the whole story arc progresses, he does delve into the traditional human response to aliens or a big superficial race, which is the military blowing the crap out of it and all that sort of stuff. Always made It made me laugh a little bit in this film because you and I have talked about that previously. Yeah. Military, you know, those big black things are in the sky in this film and the military just start firing <laughs> at them with their guns. Shoot guns. Like, literally their guns. Like, okay, I don't know. Okay, all right. I'm, you know, are you just going to fire a rifle into the sky? Like, all right, seems a bit sort of uh, unprofessional, I think, in a way. But it's always that military response, you know, that, and you and I have joked about that before. But um, he did dabble with that. And then even at the end of the film with the, the resolution that the aliens give us a whole new earth like earth mm. 2.0 that there's that sort of really nice online discussion we hear as an audience through voiceover about us kind of like some people are like oh we don't deserve another planet we're just going to destroy it and then other people are going yeah but if we look take care of it and other people are, no we'll just you know it's just going to be the same there's too many of us anyway and 
even though he still discussed that in the story, I think it is a hope story mm. because basically the aliens being this super masterful race came here once and then went away, so 20 years ago. And then the story is, you know, that they're here again. And they d- basically they decide to save us, don't they? You know, so they make and they make that because of that little hard drive, the yeah. GAD, uh, that the human 2.0 gives over to them. They obviously flicked through that and they realize that eh, there's parts of humanity that are worth saving. So I feel that this is a hope story because even in our doom and gloom and negativity as society and as humanity, we have a lot of good things, and that's sort of what the filmmaker, I believe, is sort of suggesting. So I think a hope story. Yeah. I'd have to agree (laughs) entirely. So you think the same? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely hope. And what was sort of your takeaway from the movie then? My number one takeaway from this movie is that we as a species can muddle through despite all of us sort of being basically overgrown children. <laughs> and as an adult, I've invariably, even though I'm ancient and wizened beyond compare, even though you still you have a look around and go, I've got two children that I look after. I'm responsible for What am I doing with a house and a car? That's crap. Just because you've grown up to an adult. I remember as a kid, you sort of look at adults and you think, uh, you know, they just know what to do. They That's know right. what's going on. And when I'm grown up, I'll just sort of, yeah, no, you don't. So, yeah, my number one takeaway on this is that even though we're a whole planet full of people like that who who try really hard to be grown-ups but still act like squabbling children from time to time, that we can we can pull through. So, which ties into the whole hope thing, I yeah. think, is sort of what you're saying there. Yeah, I think so. That sounds good. So I'll give you a we'll, We'll give a bit of a synopsis of the movie because yeah, we, should. we sort of mentioned a whole bunch of things here and maybe this is um, maybe it's a little while you, since you've watched it or maybe you've never watched it before and you just want to hear about it. Basically, I'll go through a bit of a lightning round on this one. Yep. Uh, a wormhole opens up near the ISS and sucks one of the astronauts in. Jim, can't remember his last name, Jim, was sucked in. Yeah, I wrote down Jim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they, so anyway, they, this, this wormhole and it stays there. Uh, so naturally, the people on Earth, they sort of study it and they send through a probe with a little hard drive on it, which has, uh, it's sort of an update on the gold disk they'll send out with Voyager. If uh, if anyone can throw their minds back to Voyager, that we put a, a this gold disk on it, which should last thousands or millions of years or something, which has got pictures of people and various measurements and a solar system. I think it's got some music on there as yeah, well. It didn't have to, come on. So there's an upgraded version of this, this hard drive they send through. Uh, but they don't get any information back. Well, no, they get one from oh, the video. Yeah. They, they realise that, and that's where they think it is a wormhole. Because yeah. they, they get one photo after time of, it looks like there's a planet on the yeah, other yeah, side. Yeah, sorry. yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's it. So yeah. then these um, big black boiling balls. Yeah, they, they, drop, they rock up. <laughs> they dro- drop out of the sky, come out of the wormhole basically and sit in Earth's atmosphere. And this, this kind of accelerates everyone's thinking. Yeah, that, that it's not, military. It's, it's not like, oh, there's just a wormhole sitting there. Yeah. Let's take a home. We'll send a probe in and now let's, let's – no, they've gone. We can't sit around. We don't know how long we've got. We don't know what these balls are. We could do something. So they decide to send humans. But uh, because wormholes are kind of rough to navigate, they're not entirely sure what sort of forces would be presented to humans. They turn to the military for a solution. And they've got these uh, trans, they go to the Transhuman Research Division, that actually is a transhuman research mm-hmm. arm of DARPA. 
and they have the Soldier 2.0, which is basically a, a fancy pants robotic body with a capsule for the brain to sit in. Yep. So the idea is you take a human brain, shove it in a robot, and bingo, you've got yeah, human point two, 2.0. You've got a human brain controlling a robotic body. Yeah, And yeah. I think they do say a couple of things like uh, the robot would obviously be able to live a lot longer, but not forever. Yeah, and, the brain will decay. Like the brain will decay. But yeah. obviously then it is a human sort of op- a human brain operating a, a robot, so it's more intelligent than, say, you know, a, a computer processor. Yeah, the, uh, the idea is that you'll be able to actually interrogate them yeah. when they get back. Yes. Uh, yeah. Whereas a computer will only be able to answer the questions it knows how to answer. Humans yeah. can make stuff up. And I think they did sort of, because they do debate it a couple of times in the movie, like the idea of instead of a robot greeting these aliens, yeah, like a human actually greeting the aliens and what type of, and then they, they sort of did debate that idea, which I liked that, you know, uh, you, do you really want to send a military person? Do, you, do we want that to be first contact? Wouldn't we be better if it's like, you know, a scientist or, you know, because you do worry, you know, yeah. sending the military and of and course the rules are just going to blow them up. movies like Contact. And yeah. Movies, they're going, yeah. And it is, it's a big question. Uh, often I've lain awake at night wondering <laughs> that very thing. I, uh, how do you decide on what sort of... Per- Ultimately, I don't think it matters too much because chance of being able to communicate with these aliens. If the aliens are advanced enough to be able to communicate with us anyway, they won't be put off by us no. sending a theologian or a philosopher or a scientist or an atheist. Or, yeah. or a soldier that wants to yeah, murder them. Like, I have, I have a feeling they'd be smart enough to be able to figure that out, figure out mm. what's going on there. Yep. So anyway, they, they get a whole bunch of candidates together and yeah, do a bunch of physical tests and psychological tests. And they decide to try, before get, getting all the candidates sorted out, they decide to try the transplant on the first one who has um, you know, excellent brain function. His cognitive abilities were, were outstanding and so forth. It also helpful, I think, that he was a paraplegic. Mm. He, he was pointing out the fact that his body does, he feels trapped by his body as it is, which I think is a bit unfair. I think he probably could have had a brighter look on his life there, mm. but that's the way he felt and fair enough. So they transplant his brain into the robot body and it fails. And I've got to say, I, I liked that. I really liked that from a story point of view because it was a, it was a good little twist, you know? Yeah, it was Because at that point, they, you know, I, I did find a lot of the science and stuff, and I know we'll talk about that, but it, it was like, oh, wow, we can do this and we can do that and we yeah. can do this. And, like, it, you know, like they were all so confident. And, yeah, they were being very thorough, you know, which is very realistic, I reckon, but... It was a nice twist that he actually that failed because it yeah. kind of gave it a lot more weight. Then you know, it, 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 it also worked to raise the stakes. It a bit, did. Where yeah. Now suddenly, it's not just a clear shoot to chuck someone in a robot body, send them through. It's going to be a little bit more complicated, which is nice. So you know, after that failure, they modify the transplant process slightly with, by introducing uh, some of the cells. They're going to introduce cells from the donor, the not the donor, the person who is, I suppose, the brain donor. Yeah, you kind of put it that way. And then they also looked for people who are enzymatically compatible or something. It looks at the genetics. Yes, yeah. Surprise, surprise. Well, conveniently enough, one of the prime candidates was Jessica, who was their chief space-time anomaly expert, yeah. who'd been consulting yeah. on, the, on the wormhole. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of had a bit of a debate about, do we really want to possibly kill our expert? Yep. But also she would probably be a good one to send up because she'd know what she's looking at. So they do it anyway. So she and this soldier, because the military had, it was a bit confusing there actually they were talking about. I had the impression like five or six or six, all those people interviewed were going to go, like seven of them, like a big crew. 
and it wasn't revealed that there's only two of them going up until quite late in the piece, and I had to stop and think for a moment. But, yeah, so they got a soldier who had already been transplanted, as I understand it, because they didn't want to risk or didn't have time to do a second. Yes. And they didn't want to send up two soldiers. That's why they went ahead with the cosmologist. So they sent her up with a soldier, and after a week... She returns, missing the soldier. So then the scientist starts to recover and starts to tell her story, where we learn that the soldier was somehow transported out of the capsule, where she's sort of blacked out a bit during that, and then he blows up, presumably because he had a weapon. His arm, he's looking at his arm, it pointed out these these soldier bodies had weapons in them. So his, his weapon exploded, and that was the end of him. And she lands on a planet, and she met the astronaut, Jim, who was sucked in. But it wasn't Jim. He was controlled or, in part, influenced by yeah. these sort of mysterious aliens. We don't get to find out exactly what happened because at that point there, the anomaly, and I'm a bit sketchy on this, but the anomaly sort of exploded what appeared to be the, a moon of Saturn or maybe it just blew a bunch of Saturn's rings toward the Earth. I, I wasn't yeah. sure and exactly what that was going on. I don't think, oh, the right, I was just going to say, right on that, but the... Because they were getting her memories a bit sort of slowly and those memories were looking a bit suspicious or they were all a bit like confused by them at this point. Yeah, in time. like the, the soldier data, being blown soldier up. Soldier being blown up and they sort of, it was, I think it was implying that it, it looked kind of like, oh, well, they, the aliens must have done that, you know, mm-hmm. and we still have these black clouds. So the military at that point, with the, the vague amount of information from her, they attack the black clouds. Yeah, they so sort of, everyone sort of freaks they, out a bit. Yeah, everyone starts freaking out that this is the case. Um, so the military are blowing, you know, they're sending the helicopters and the bombs, and as we joked, that idea of just shooting into the sky. Uh, and there's re- no... I reckon people would do that, though, I think so as well. You know, they just panic and I go, think, oh, yeah, hey, yeah. And people were panicking at know. that point, and they, they played on that for a few moments. And at the same time, which we were told right at the, the start of the story, that they were predicting that there would be this weird cosmic shower of shit earth was going to move into this weird energy field and there'd be all this and as you say yeah we sort of see that something happens to um it's a it's a little bit unknown because we, we're showing it from a nasa cam aren't we or yeah a space it's, it's definitely not cam. our moon no i i, I saw saturn's rings there yes. and i wasn't sure if they're indicating it was saturn. that it was the end result being though that uh, you know, big, great big meteor chunks yeah, or comets. Yeah, we're heading this way. We're going to we're gonna fly down and, and smash into the Earth. Yep. And so everyone's kind of quite concerned by that. Yes, when they realise that's what's happening. But what happens, Mark? What happens? Those massive alien black clouds that everyone was so worried about protect us. They suddenly form a shield, mm. don't they, over the Earth. All of a sudden, they just sprout. <laughs> <laughs> and go out, um, which I've got to say I liked because it was like, well, I was not expecting that. You know, this whole thing I was expecting the aliens doom and gloom kind of idea, but no, you know, the military were blowing them up. I thought they might blow us back, but they decided that we were worth saving. Yeah, and well, that's kind of them, I think. So then the thing is, after that scene, more of her memories are decoded and it's revealed that the aliens did decide to save humanity. They weren't going to save humanity yeah. and they did decide because of the little GAD drive, a little hard drive. Yeah, it all it all came together for me at that point where they said that they they do these things and we weren't sure what it is they they do yeah. as such to keep the galaxy in balance. Yes. 
And then all these, you know, these great big rocks and stuff kind of crashing down. And so I went, oh, okay, so what they're talking about is extinction events. Yes. So the dinosaurs, for yep. example, wiped out by comets. Mm. It's kind of hinting or basically saying these aliens, they just orchestrate um, the resetting of planets yeah. from time to time. They just sort of keep things rolling along nicely. Yeah. And they, well, they kind of did this too as well. So they, they shot down and they saved us and they created another planet. Yeah, and, and they, well, they rearrange the solar system, don't they, as well? The, yeah. The, there's a, actually a real, uh, there's a couple of planets that disappear and there's more planets that reappear. And, yeah, they sort of shifted around a bit. Sh- they shift things. So somehow they've got the power to, yeah, rearrange the, the galaxy or the Their universe. Their magic. Their magic. <laughs> Which so was nice. This was something that I got out of that, actually, was then when she returned in her capsule out of the wormhole and splashed down. Jillian, the uh, head of the space agency, because I didn't want to say NASA, made the point of saying, uh, we were expecting years, but came in just seven days. And I immediately went, that's a biblical number, isn't it? In seven days, you know, that's got Genesis meanings. It does. And then it all, as I said, it all came together at the end there where these aliens, kind of like God, go to smash the wicked, but Mm. decide to spare us. Yes, and create another Earth That's some rather than destroying what we were. And create. Mm-hmm. So it would have been in seven days the Earth was created and life was formed. You know? So I don't know if you were specifically going for that point, but nonetheless, I got that. And she, the scientist that creates, just that you said that now, it's kind of like the scientist that creates the human 2.0, when she does Jessica, she says, we are literally God now. Yes, I thought that was so, that was a, a quite a confronting yeah, statement. Yeah, I think so too. Because Jessica's sitting there. I think she was kind of still freaking out. She a bit, was, like, yeah, yeah, touching her fingers together. And, and she had the issue with the voice, the box voice box thing, and and you know, what have you done? And he says, "We're basically <laughs> and, God." And I sort of thought, that's kind of rough. The person that you're being God to is kind of not necessarily agreeing with yeah, you at this point. Yeah. And, and she, she's the one that has sacrificed herself, like, because they keep telling us throughout that process that, well, there's no going back. You know, you can't go back to the human body and all your family are going to think you're dead. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a massive. And here you are, the doctor's like, ooh, I, we are God. <laughs> so, yeah, a little bit ruthless on the doctor's behalf, but she works for the military. She deals with scientists, you know. To t- tell you the truth, if it, I was it, in it makes a lot of sense. I would be dying for the chance. She must have been waiting for that chance to save her. Yeah. Just waiting for someone to set that line yes. up so she'd say, we are God. Yeah, and it's very um, Frankenstein, isn't it? Dr. Frankenstein, you know, the idea of like building life from nothing, you know. So, yeah, she does do that. <laughs> and so that. then just to the final resolution, so the aliens have created the new solar system, Earth 2.0, so they're playing off that idea, I think, of everything being a new version. Then... There's a discussion of what should we do, and then pretty quickly they decide to send the human 2.0s, like lots of them, including Jessica, because yeah. we see her in the final shot, sent to this planet to kind of start colonising it. You know, yeah, and investigate, on the out- it. investigate it first, but on the outside, and we get some big flashes of it, it kind of looks like a brand new Earth, you know, yeah. like a, a healthy Earth. So, yeah, that was a nice sort of ending to it. And that's why I sort of was thinking that, well, it's quite hopeful, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and I've left thinking because they left talking about, well, we're just going to wreck it. And, and they're saying we've got 12 billion people on the planet. And, you, and I was thinking, well, yeah, so if we gave half our population to the planet, that's two of six billion. Yes, yeah, which huge. Yeah. most people kind of think 
is kind of a heavy load for a planet to carry, at least under our current lifestyles. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was a bit apprehensive thinking uh, it would almost be worthwhile everyone agreeing to leave that planet alone and maybe that would be a catalyst to make everyone actually work together to sort their shit out. Yeah. Because there would just be, you know, the fights and the squabbles and, mm. you know, the, oh, people are just so silly with the way they mm. carry on, like, like but, I mean, look, if something like this popped up, you, you and they, they do say it in the film, governments were really keen to get involved, you know, invest money and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's very realistic to me. And I'd, I'd hope you, that they... Here in Australia, you, we know what big mining companies are like, like BHP, you know, worldwide global company mining companies. And so if something like this appeared on the horizon, you could just see them going, yep. Who's got rockets? You know, we was, you know, how much does it cost to get there? You know, what would we invest to get there? You know, like, yeah, you would just imagine that they would be, there would be a lot of money thrown at this very well, you, quickly. You could almost think of, for example, okay, well, let's keep Earth that we have now as just our home. Yeah. And we use the second Earth then uh, as a food source yes. and yeah. energy source. Something. That's right, yeah. So that we can then, okay, we don't have to worry about preserving this planet so yeah. much. We've got a whole other one there. Uh, and there will be the future society's problem of maybe when this Earth does cark it, that a few people are sent up there to yeah, <laughs> live I, I on that know. planet. You know, like, it, it's yeah. just it's one of these things that really it really makes me think. It's one of those things that I actually really like about a lot of science fiction. You get these sort of questions of like, okay, we found a habitable habitable planet that we could actually reach it. I got the impression it was kind of not too much further away than the moon. I guess mm. it would have to be further than the moon, otherwise the, the gravity the gravity effects would, yeah, would totally stuff us up. Us. Yeah, yeah. But certainly within our orbit, yep. and that makes it a lot easier get, to get to because yep. uh, to and, and actually pointing this out with the um, trying to move it into the wormhole, changing orbital trajectories yeah. is quite difficult. But they pointed out this planet was actually on our same plane, our same orbit. Yeah. Which meant that really all you'd have to do is just pop off the Earth and wait. Yeah. And then the, the, the other planet would catch up to you, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would actually be quite easy to get to. So it'd be within a year then, wouldn't it, at the, at the at maximum? At the most, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it's a, a interesting. And I agree, like science fiction proposing these sort of ideas, isn't it? You know, the, the idea of a new Earth or a new planet in our reach. Yeah. What do we I, do? You know, robot, always, robot, you know, crossing humans into robots. Is this something that we want to do? You know, is this, is this our future? That means we can live a lot longer. Yeah, and these questions that science fiction stories raise are fantastic, I reckon. Yeah, because I often wonder if we found another planet, for example, that had, yeah, let's say, life all the way up to, but not including intelligent life. You've always got to ask that question of do we leave it, you know, do the um, like Star Trek Prime Directive just let it develop on itself until something arises that can also travel into space and then we can communicate? Or is it a land grab because, you know, but then are we just acting like some sort of, you know, in, infecting agent going on conquering planets? But And I think a lot of that would come down to how common these planets were and how easy it was to get to them. Because yeah. if it was pretty easy to get out there and there's just lots of planets around, Yeah. well, you know, yeah, sure, just... Yeah, take yeah. a couple, leave a couple. What, what, <laughs> if, what if we colonise a few yeah, hundred? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's literally billions of them. Yeah, that's right. There's more more out there than we would be able to colonise within you know, the lifespan of the galaxy or something yeah, crazy. Yeah, that's it. And that's just one galaxy. Poof. So, okay, well, we're, we're going to have to then talk about what our relative preference is. So we've got two moves. We've got Passengers and Lobster. We've currently got the ranking of number one position is the Lobster, followed closely on its heels by Passengers. 
because they're the only two movies we've, we've done. Now we've got a third one. I think it's going to be a little bit harder to, to place it in there now that we've got three. So I'm going to let you do it first, Mark. <laughs> well, look, it, I reckon it's been three really good movies that we've looked at because they're all so different uh, in many ways, including style, budgets, uh, the story structure, and even the concepts that they're developing. Mm, yeah, for sure. So, so far in my ranking on the ladder, I've put The Lobster as number one, Passengers number two. And I think this one does come in at number three for me personally. Uh, and it's not that it's uh, any less as good as those other films. It's just sort of my viewing experience of it. And I, I watched it once through and it really sucked me in and I really got into it and I was, I was loving the sort of documentary style of it. And I liked how it kind of revealed the story and we went along. It wasn't sort of really following a main character. We had sort of many characters and I did enjoy that. And I did like the documentary style. When I watched it a second time, I didn't quite get so sucked into that story. And I think that's, for me, why it just slips into number three on the ladder. How about you? Where are you seeing it on that ladder? Yeah, I would love to put it uh, between the lobster and passengers because of the heavy science. The lobster, I think, in my mind, is still number one just because of its quirky, absurd nature and its extreme exploration of psychology and and human society in general. It hit me in the right spot there, and and I can see myself going back to watch it again later. Uh, But this movie, The Beyond, it's got a whole lot of this sort of science. I love the science documentary bit. I love that I could sort of nerd out a bit and show off to my wife a bit <laughs> and and so that was really good the uh the style it was very different again that's we chose these three these first three movies relatively arbitrarily yeah I, just I mean randomly i just basically went through netflix and typed in sci-fi movies yep picked um a bunch that i hadn't seen before yep and then we've sort of interleaved my choice with yours and as it turned out we've got these three like i said totally different story types Filming, direction, airing. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to agree with you. Number th- just under Passengers because I can see Passengers is a little less, little, little easier to watch through. So as you said, the second time viewing of it doesn't have that rewatchability because it's sort of that documentary thing. Once you've learnt, you're kind of learning the story. You are, Rather yeah. than going for an adventure, which yeah. with Passengers you're going on this adventure, this yeah. ride. And this one you're learning the story. And so once you've learnt it, uh, it's got these great concepts that can you can really sort of sink your teeth into and everything. Correct. But yeah. watching it the second time through, the primary benefit I got out of that movie was that learning experience. Yeah. You know, you, can, you can't learn the same thing twice. Mm. There's so much, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, there's so much fantastic science in it spoken about and revealed and, you know, amazing technology, which I liked. Uh, but then it's... I think that's the thing. On a second viewing, you you it's all being explained to you, and it's not so much maybe being revealed like the other stories are with a character revealing the world. So yeah, just I just found on that second viewing, it was just a little bit kind of I was I was pushing through a bit of that information. Yeah. Some of those explanation scenes, I was just pushing through a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I totally agree. So so well, still it's. The third best one we've seen. That's right. (laughs) That's pretty good. And it is a good one. And, you know, you need to, you need to see films like this because the style being like a mockumentary, a documentary Mm. style, you know, it's really, it's really interesting to see films put in this position, I think, you know, and and we've looked at passengers and we looked at lobsters and 
when you compare those three narratives, like it's, it's outstanding a director to do, to take the risk on something like this, you know, like to do it like this. They yeah. could go that traditional, you know, we could have, the story could have been about Jessica, the cosmologist that ends up being human 2.0, or it could have been about. And we would have um, learned about her failed yeah, marriage yeah, and the Australian that's husband. That's right, you know, and we would have. She would then finally get back together just enough to have a kiss goodbye. We could have gone that path, uh, you yeah. know, or we could have gone, you know, the head of the space agency, Gillian. Um, mm. and maybe her and her, because her daughter was in this story and maybe that could have been part of it. And, yeah. and then, and maybe she needed to feel a bit more for Jessica or something and, and she didn't want her to go and then she lets her go or <laughs> some, some sort of debate like that. But I, so I think it was quite risky for the director to go this path and it, and it did really work. I mean, the first viewing I had, I was really sucked into it. You know, I'd mm. watched it straight through. I was, really like thinking, wow, you know, what is going to happen next? Yeah, where's it going? What are they the pace yeah. was really fast. You know, the tone of the film, the pace, even though there was a lot of explanation, for me it went really fast. You know, wormhole, aliens, you know, there's a planet on the other side. Let's send someone. Let's, let's send someone. All right, we've got robots uh, crossed with humans. Okay, here's a few candidates. Okay, we'll pick one. Well, no, it's failed. He's dead. You know, like, we're going to pick someone else. She doesn't want to go. Okay, she's going to go. She goes. She's back. <laughs> and then, oh, the aliens are there and they protect us. And it's like the planet, oh, I was like, wow. Like, it really was no, a very right. fast-paced, you know, story, I think, yeah. for, for the fact of how much was delivered. And I liked that. Yeah, I did like that. Yeah, I think it's what would be called a, a hard sci-fi. Yeah. In that it wasn't so much about human relationships. There was a little bit of that in there, of course, because humans are involved. But it was more about... Uh, the, the technology and how society or how certain people would approach this technology and this space mystery. So it's quite good. And we're talking before we started recording actually about some of these female-led movies that are sort of gaining notoriety at the moment. And this leads me to think of the Bechdel test. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Yes, yeah, 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 so yeah of course. This one definitely passed it. There's oh, it does, well and truly. More than yeah. one female character. Yep. Yep. They spoke to each other about important things in the plot, not about men or yep. relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is that, that's the main thing. So you've got to have more than one woman. Yes. They've got to have a role in the plot that isn't to be a love interest. Yeah. There was no love interest in this. No, there was, there was no was love. no romance there at all. There was no romance. And they've got to talk about something other than the man. And yeah, no one gets the woman at the end. No. Like there's, no, it's, there's no prize. It's all about the science. Yeah. It's all about the, yeah. the mystery and the journey and the yeah. learning. Yeah, it's good. And I thought that was good that, you know, the head of the space agency, you know, she was a woman. You know, the... Well, I, I know. So the head, head was a woman. The main anchor who presented yep. the news was a woman. woman. Yep. The... Chief cosmologist who Jessica Jessica who does go, was, she is obviously the woman. The doctor, the main surgeon, yeah, was she a was woman. a woman. Yes, there was a lot of strong uh, female characters, wasn't there? And even the Jillian, you know, it was her and her daughter. Yeah, and they mention the husband died. I think he was in military or something right at yeah, the start. Yeah. So there is no, there's no other man. You know, there's nothing else. So here's two women. One, the daughter's going to uni and the other one's ahead of, you know, it's like, well, here's intelligent women characters. And they don't talk about men. They, no. They're talking about their lives. Uh, and you know? I guess also it's not it's not pointed out or brought up. There's, there is no tension about the fact that they are women. Yeah. In these ro- That's roles right. of yeah. authority. It's, it's not just, a theme of the film. They're just there. They're, they're just, just doing there. their thing like yeah. normal human beings in a yes. normal society. And that, and that I think also is, is quite nice when they do that. And there's been a, a few shows and movies that have, have done that with women and with various you know minorities and and with various genders and sexualities. I was I was watching Riverdale, 
um, it's the old Archie comics thing. Yes. And in that Jughead character, they decided to make him gay. And the really interesting thing about that was there was not a single episode in, certainly not in season one, where there was any character, any plot point about the fact that he was gay. You know, nobody picked on him because he was gay. There was no one mischaracterized. He just was. And everyone just treated him like a normal human being and accepted that he was making out with the bikey. The bikey guy in the gang was also gay, obviously, like being male. He wasn't ostracized from his gang for being gay. It was just, it's like a vision of the future. That's that's where the world, that's where society is going to be, where people just are. They don't, they don't have to justify that there's no character. In fact, um, I think Jughead actually connects with Moose, the footy player, and then it ends up dumping and says, oh, look, you know, you're still just kind of getting your legs. Come back to me when you're, <laughs> when, when you're, when you're properly gay, <laughs> which, which is quite nice. You know? yeah. it, was, it, was, it was a very sort of powerful moment. But this movie has, has done this with, with women. They're just doing their thing. Uh, there's no power play. None of the male characters make any derogatory comments. There's no... T- you know, tensional stress on it. It's just, it's all part of the hope part of the movie is that yeah. in the future we will just be respectful of people and talk to their talents or their abilities as they apply to any situation. So yeah. it's quite good. I think so, yeah. And I mean, they're professional women and men, you know, in all those departments, aren't they, mm. really? And they just, it's not a thing. It's not a, not a problem. No, they're just, the they're just solving the, the situations right. they brought yeah, up yeah, with. Yeah. 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 So that's quite good. So, well, that, I guess that brings me to the best scene. Best scene, worst scene. I've got two best scenes and one worst scene. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the best one just in case you steal it. You kind of have hinted at it. Uh, it's Mickey. He's the paraplegic candidate. Yeah, yeah. When he dies. Yeah. I think it was really powerful for me because we sort of get like a reality show. Uh, they 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 do this quick deep dive, with a shallow skim, whatever. You're into him, you know, he was a he's a drone pilot. He used to be military, as I understand it. Um, but he's obviously had some sort of an accident. We don't know what that is. He's really distraught about losing his legs, and he's so hopeful that he's going to get his new body and get to explore and be useful. Yep. He's going to have a legacy, yep. which he was convinced he wasn't going to have. Mm-hmm. Which been, again, he probably needed a bit of life coaching there to realize that just because you're in a wheelchair doesn't actually mean you don't have a future. Yeah, but, but then that's his call, isn't but it? But that was you know, him. He was, he was upset, and yeah. fair enough, and... But he was so helpful and he was so sort of friendly and uh, he's going through his examinations and, and you really got to go, he's like a really cool guy. He's, like, yeah, he's yeah. really nice. He seems pleasant and happy and he's, um last thing we sort of see is he's being laid down back on the couch going, okay, you're probably just going to, you're going to basically pass out and then you'll wake up and you'll be in your body. And then we come back and there's a doctor who just goes, well, the transplant was a failure. <laughs> and it's just heartbreaking. Isn't it? it was. I really wanted him to have a body and yeah. like, woohoo, I'm free. You know, like, um, I guess like Avatar. Avatar, yeah, I was yeah just like, say, just like yeah, Avatar, yeah. you know, that same sort of scenario. But they, yeah. and because they've done this documentary style, of course, there wasn't big dramatic build up of music. There no. wasn't big sob stories or anything. And I think that made it so real. It did. Yeah. And that's what I really loved about that scene. I yeah. really felt as if someone had actually died. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like, almost forgot I was watching a make-believe movie and I was actually watching the story of mm. this process. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's what they did well in that scene because it's because it is a doc supposed to be a documentary. Well, they don't have footage of it. They don't have footage of his dead dead body because in documentary you're not going to get access to that. You know, like you know the, the fail. We had to cut to the surgeon. You know, it's the next day or whatever it is, and him just saying. It failed. It, yeah, well, I think it's in 72 hours. Yeah, or something yeah. like that. You know, so they, they, the time has gone by, but we don't, you know, if it was it was a fictional film, well, the camera can go anywhere. You know, the, cam- the yeah. camera can show us anything at any time. You know, so maybe in documentary style, well, we didn't get to see it, but it did make it a harsher reality for us as an audience because we've just been given 10 minutes of film on this guy that we're hopeful will be yeah. a human 2.0. We're told he's the best match we can see he's a genuine guy. He wants to walk again. We're hopeful for him. Uh, they've given us reason to root for him, so to speak. And oh, no, he's gone now. Yeah, it's just it's just gone. <laughs> he's dead. He's never and coming fine. back. And it's our fault as well because if, if he hadn't done the surgery, he'd be alive. You know. So. Yeah, I, and I I really felt for the surgeon at that point. I thought, what would you feel like? You've, you've just gone through this process. You've told him. You've got to know him. You've, you've told him things are going to be okay. You're going to do do the best you can. And then he's going to go, well, he just died. Like, I basically just killed him. You know, the surgeon just killed him. Uh, not intentionally, obviously. It was a very difficult surgery where you're extracting someone's brain and sticking it in a robot. I mean, frankly, I'm surprised they even thought they could do it. But they, yeah. So that was that was why that was such a great scene for me because it, it just for the moment made me forget that I was watching a, you know, a, a story. Yeah, yeah. And it was like I was watching... Uh, an actual documentary. Mm, it, yeah. it really was very effective. Uh, so what? I'm going to let you do your first. Is well, that, on that, is it the I, same one or? It, well, I won't. I, I'll just say on that. I liked also the attention to detail uh, a little bit later with Jessica's surgery because they really showed us sort of a bit of the surgery. Mm. And uh, again, it was only a real flash of it, but the wires and the blood and them cutting and these sort of things. So I really liked, um, again, shot, you know, from a documentary point of view. But I think I just really liked that, you know, we'd call it a montage at the start of the film, being that it was just a quick succession of edits, like quick succession of shots. We're not, as an audience, we don't exactly know what's going on. So it's just a quick um, collage of shots there. You call that a montage. And it's the disaster. And Gillian sort of says, we couldn't have been so wrong. You know, mm. we thought this was going to be a different scenario. That's kind of the opening dialogue of the film. And we have these weird shots of space and people f- frantic and panicking. Uh, and we have military and we have, I think there's a, sh- a weird shot of someone painting or spray painting a house or something. And I, I was just sort of a bit like, whoa, what is this going to be about? And then it said 12 months earlier. So yeah. I, I just, that opener uh, was a really good opener for me. I, I think yeah. they had had to do that there because there was quite a bit of build up that had to happen. Yes. So that... You had to get a little teaser. Of, a little teaser, Hey, yeah. hey, stick with us. That's right. Because things gets, will get interesting. Yeah, it's not just yeah. going to be dry. There's there's something mysterious and exciting. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was quite effective there. Yeah, yeah. It made my wife actually pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is not to say she doesn't pay attention, but uh, she does tend to lean more towards a story-rich or character-rich yeah, yeah. Yeah, story well, again, it's kind of cutting through our attention spans as humans because it's like, hey, look at me, you know, hey, yeah. hey, look at this, look at this, you know, it's the old circus rolling into town, you know, it's like, hey, come in here, or the old cinema experience where it's like, roll up, roll up, you know, come yeah. on into the thinner, you know, like you'll see something you've never seen before, you know. I think I could probably and, see uh, a, a number of people being disappointed though, like thinking yeah. they're being, 
they're, they're getting ready for a, a much, I suppose, more Hollywood dramatic movie, thinking yeah. it's going to be and Independence maybe the, Day yeah, style. Yeah, I was just going to you know, say that idea of aliens invading or something like that. But, mm. you know, that that was the not the tone of this film once you got into it. Mm. What about a worse scene? Sorry. Oh, no, I've got a second good scene. Oh, you got a second good scene. Okay. Yeah, okay sorry, I'm jumping the gun. Yeah, there. so it's so Julian had to tell everyone basically that Jessica's dead because this is the one way thing they, they wanted to say basically it's going to be an accident. Yep. Jessica's dead because they're sending her off into a wormhole. I mean, goodness knows what's going to happen. don't know what's happening. And she's right. going to this top secret robot body that the military probably doesn't yet want to reveal to the world. Mm. So they're trying to keep it a bit hush hush about it. So. She has to tell her daughter that their good friend, their mutual friend, I suppose, has died in an accident. I think the actress, who was it, was Gillian, was Jane Perry. She, I think she sold it really well. It looks, it looks very like a reality show style. Like, so it looks genuine in that case. Because I, I think many times actors in movies, and I guess stage as well, tend to over oversell yeah. an emotion or oversell a scene. And I think you've got to do that somewhat to bring home a point, get it through mm. to the audience. But this was quite good because she was lying. So she was actually looking a bit sort of guilty and sheepish and was, you know, would explain to her daughter, oh, there's been an accident. And she kind of looks at the camera like, like it's like a, a lie, a tell. And she's sort of looking at the camera and like sharing this. You'll see we know there wasn't actually an accident. Yeah. And she kind of looks down and, and sort of looks you know, a bit coy about it because she doesn't like lying to her daughter, not because her friend is dead. And her daughter is kind of speechless and doesn't know how to take this. And the whole scene there was, it really felt realistic because in my life when I have seen people talking about difficult situations or, or having confrontation, it isn't people giving great big monologues, yeah, speeches, and- speeches, you know, soliloquies that, that go off or, or um, whatever Shakespearean sort of equivalents there might be, which seems to be very common in Hollywood. And maybe Americans do talk about that. I, I don't know. I've never been there. Maybe they are more eloquent in the way they present things, but not in my experience. And this was a British show as well. So it was, you imagine the, the British people stereotypically, and I'd hate to, you know, lump I don't know how many was this, four or five different countries into the one, or nations into the one. But anyway, it was a very effective thing that I thought really portrayed very well that she was not happy about lying to her daughter and trying to convert that not happy to talk to her daughter into sadness for the loss of her friend, even though she was knowing that she was going to go off and talk to her yeah. shortly <laughs> after that. Yeah, so that, that was just a really good scene. That it really worked for me. Uh, it wasn't over the top. It wasn't too underplayed it it just it, it again really grounded that film and made it feel like it, it could really be happening because mm. there's some other scenes there where it's 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 a little bit over the top like transplanting a brain into this robot body in what's supposed to be modern times i don't know if they, they give a year specifically it's supposed to be 2019 yeah, so it's Which meant to be this now. year. So it's supposed it to be basically... It was made a couple of years ago, yeah, but it was, it's meant it's to be now. It's basically yeah. meant to be yeah. modern times, and so there's, there's a few things that you kind of go, well, they've taken some liberties there in order to progress the film yeah, uh, or to make a point. But this scene and that first one I was talking about with Mickey really grounded the film to make it very realistic. Mm. 
in that sense, I think. So that's, that's why it's best scene. But worst scene, yes, I do have a worst scene. And that's because I was a little bit confused initially. And it is, is when that energy wave came and sort of destroyed stuff that was kind of similar to it, a bit psychedelic. And right, so, yeah, so the yeah. effects seems to be psychedelic. And I was a bit confused as to what was happening. I was like, what, what's going on? You know, what's that being blown up? What, there's sort of colors and swirls and, yeah. and flares going off. And I'm like, I don't understand. And then these rocks are coming down suddenly to earth. And I'm like, where did that come from? Like, mm, yeah. that, if that was Saturn's <laughs> ring, that's like, that's a good nine month travel before it gets here. But yeah. I wasn't, I was kind of all a bit, I think, again, because the doco style, because same when Jim goes missing at the start of the film, mm. you know, we don't see it. All we get is, you know, we, we're seeing his camera on his on his spacesuit. We're seeing, like, I think there's a, a, a camera on the space station that's yeah. not quite right, and then things are firing up, and he we've got his voice telling us things, and he sort of vanishes, and then he's, dis- and then he's gone. Uh, likewise with that scene, the, I suppose the only thing to excuse, again, the cameras can't go everywhere because it's not a fictional film. Yeah, so yeah. the idea is that, and I know it does say, um, what does it say? It says like space agency satellite vision or something yeah, like that, yeah. you know, and we see this planet sort of yeah, disappear I, a bit or blow up. You can imagine and, they've, they've put this together after the fact. That's right. But because they wouldn't have had this yeah. live stream. People wouldn't have been live streaming watching that's that because right. it no, takes... No. No, Time. So, but, but I, I do agree. Like, I, I on especially on second viewing, I was a bit like, "What's happening right now?" And then I realised that well, at the start, Jillian does tell us that the planet will be in this weird energy field thing, that yeah. not, and there's a really poor computer simulation of Earth kind of being in a shower of rocks or something. Yeah. But they, but they're a bit unsure what that might mean. They're just predicting that something will happen. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, again, I think because we can't put the cameras in there. But, again, it goes back to that old rule where we, in filmmaking that if you shoot, say, planes flying around the sky, they can be going at... A thousand kilometers an hour, and yet because all they are are planes in the sky, there's no perspective. Yeah. And so I think maybe that's what went a little bit wrong in that shot of the planet blowing up is that we couldn't really see enough of it. Maybe it needed to be a far further away camera or something. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it was a bit confusing what exactly happened yeah. in that exact moment. But I, I got it, but it was a bit like, hey, what's going on here? I think though, what what it did do that, like that's why that I think it was the the worst scene. But what it did do, though, was it meant that then later on the scene where uh, it the blocks after it blow, the, the the big black spheres block everything and save us, and we get that reveal that they do this from time to time. I got that sudden rush of uh, epiphany. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, I see. So they claim responsibility for destroying the dinosaurs, yeah, and yeah. for various other cat- cat- yeah. catastrophic events. And possibly this is also why we haven't heard from other aliens. Yes, yeah. Because they just... They're just controlling it. They just they? wipe out planets every now and then. Yeah, and yeah. Do whatever. And so... Because it was kind of hinted that we would have been destroyed if it wasn't for us contacting them. Oh, absolutely. Them. You know, yeah, they, they didn't really want to keep us around. We were a second decision. <laughs> yeah, they, they changed their minds after we sent yeah. through the probe. They got the thing and then they went... Oh, you know, actually, these guys are kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, we should. And that was, we'll keep. We'll see. We'll keep you around a little bit longer. Yeah, we'll keep <laughs> around. So, so that was my worst scene, and and I was a bit. I look, I, I am a little bit disappointed by this scene because, as I said, like I was just defending it then, 
the rest of the film really ticked the box of documentary mockumentary. Mm. I actually would think that this is not a mockumentary, but it's a fictional film shot in documentary style. Uh, yeah, you've got to look up the definitions of those things. But I think mockumentary is a bit more taking, you know, taking the piss, joke, making the joke of documentary. This was not joking about it. It was just told in that style. But the, so the worst scene was the fact that Jessica who's the cosmologist who is at this point in the story, she's deciding whether she's going to become a, a robot a, or a human 2.0 and sacrifice herself. She comes to Jillian's house to kind of tell her and she wants to be reassured by Jillian that her family will be taken care of and everything will be taken care of. And why this is the worst scene is when the rest of the film has so painstakingly been shot as a mockumentary this scene still is with a shaky camera in her back garden shooting this intimate <laughs> intimate scene. And I was just, it really like, I, it was the only scene in the film that kind of, I was like, there's no way that the documentary crew would shoot this. Like, why mm. would they be there shooting this moment happening? And, and in fact, I think really... Jillian would have probably said to them, oh, look, the cameras have to be switched off. If they were at her house at that moment in time yeah. and Jessica's rolled up, Jessica would probably say, I want to talk to you about something. And they would just cut the cameras because right at the start of the story, she does say the cameras are here to just for, um, it's just for the space agency. They want a record of us and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then of course this event unfolds. So we're taking on that journey, I suppose, as the camera crew are, are capturing everything. But, it felt very unrealistic. And the more I thought about it, I have seen other mockumentaries do scenes like this better. So they might have had, they leave a camera on the table mm. and it's accidentally recording or they, they did, you know, they deliberately put kind of put it on the table and then they walk away. But the scene was shot like the camera crew were in the bushes in the back garden and they kind of punched in a couple of times on the intimate conversation. Yeah. And it just, I was feeling really you know, abstract yeah, from I'd it. Like, like it didn't, it yeah. didn't really grab me that scene. It just felt too unrealistic. And maybe we didn't even need that scene. You know, like we could have just had her say, yeah. you know, like Jessica has decided to go, you know, um, or as I said, they could have stumbled upon them. Like they were in her office and they've walked in on the moment and, and they're talking, you know what I mean? Yeah. There, there could have been a couple other ways to shoot that where the documentary team capture it, but a little bit more. Accidental. Actually, I also found that the, it was a little bit empty, her platitudes. Oh, you, yeah. you'll definitely be taken care of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wouldn't you ask specifics? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, are you, is there, basically, you're going to say there was a life insurance policy on me worth yeah. X pounds, X yeah, millions yeah. of pounds or something? Like, what, what do you mean? Because it's just, oh, they'll be taken care of. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, like, it sounded a bit insincere almost. It did, and it did. If I was Jessica, I was just saying, in what way? Because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are the numbers? Because if you think about it, she's working for this organisation and yeah. we all work for big, you know, we can work for big organisations. We kind of go, yeah, well, how much are you going to pay me? How much is my pay? Actually, you know, what, is the workers, what actually is the award? What you know? is the workers' comp for a, a lost astronaut? That's right, yeah. Because that's what they claim is that the, the rocket was going up to the space station to study the wormhole yep. and there's an accident. Yeah. So what is astronauts workers comp? Who knows? It must be. You think it'd be reasonable because their their pay would be reasonable being highly trained specialists. Yeah. They'd be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so their compensation would have to be equally 
Yeah, so I just felt a bit abstract from that scene, especially when the rest of the film had done it so well. I think the rest of the documentary, mockumentary style was done really quite well. So that that just sort of stood out to me. Yeah. Okay, so I think we also, <laughs> we should probably ask ask our beautiful listeners. We should. To tell us what their best scene, worst scene was. And also, if there's any astronauts, maybe they can tell us what the workers' compensation would be like so that yeah. uh, in this scenario, what would your family being taken care of mean? Yeah, so if you have a best scene, worst scene, what you thought about it, probably should let us know on Twitter, at, Facebook. At Space Brains Pod yep. on Twitter. And just Space Brains. Space Brains at Facebook. And Facebook. Yep. And Instagram. And Instagram is Space Brains Podcast. Yeah. Space Brains Podcast. <laughs> so they're the best ways to get in touch. Yeah. So sorry, this is the bit that you're very excited about. I know the science. There is so much oh, science yeah. in this film. Uh, I, I watched this without you on my own and the whole time I was thinking, Oh, Surrey is going to enjoy this beast it, it of was a science his, film. This is, it was great. this puts the science in fiction, this film. Because wormholes is one of my favourite topics. Yep, straight away, wormhole. Because, uh, in fact, I'm putting together, I didn't mention this at the start, actually, I'm putting together an, sort of a, an interview-style documentary series podcast uh, about what what it would take to create a science fiction-style spacecraft. Okay. Something yeah, that yeah. they could actually travel on yeah. the planets. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a realistic spacecraft like you see, which is largely utilitarian in races, more like a... Passengers, you know, yeah. you can imagine something that's designed and nice and can travel. But uh, so I've I've looked the more realistic things, graphene. Okay. So they talk about these human point two point bodies yep. have graphene okay. coating or, or, or armor, yep. if you like. I won't go too much into graphene because graphene is just this rather exciting material that's really recent. Okay. So oh, it's been known since nineteen sixties or something. Okay. It's been seen as a um, it's what graphite is made out of right. and carbon nanotubes and so forth. So it's six um, carbon atoms in a hexagon connected to neighbouring hexagons like a honeycomb. And when you get out to uh, somewhere around 4,000 atoms worth of these things, it's a very big... Um, in fact, it's an indefinitely sized molecule, okay. which is unusual. Yeah, so it's a single atom thickness and it is... Super, super duper strong, and it has sort of various semiconductor properties and semi metal properties. It's got so many uses, and it's if you could actually make an armor out of it, it would, it would be the strongest armor you could ever come up with. Uh, I, I don't know how they made quite so much of it to make a whole body out of it because we're only making tiny little strips of it, but eventually, so that's that. And then there's um, wormholes. So, the, so the wormholes that I find fascinating is they're a mathematically predicted phenomenon there's no not been any observation of them and in fact there's there's a good lot lot of theory to say that they would not stay stable or at least not for long at a macro scale at a quantum level there's this stuff called quantum foam which would be the the functional equivalent of wormholes but smaller than an atom so i think not useful so these these ones we're talking about here uh wormholes and i think the classic example or the description that's used is where you have a sheet of paper, and there's been a couple of movies that have done this. And they go, if you want to go from point A to point B, <laughs> yes, but look, if we do this and punch a pencil through, yeah. we get through. And and that comes from the, the basic visualization where if you take space time, which you can imagine is four dimensional, mm. and it's got you know height, width, breadth, depth, and time, mm. duration, 
uh, and you actually represent that as a two-dimensional plane. So you're going to cut a few dimensions out to make yeah. things easier to look at. And that in itself doesn't really make much sense either because that no. would mean that everything we know exists in two dimensions, including time. But anyway, that aside, you've got, you've got this sheet that's like that. And if you, you've got lots of little dots of points on it, which are uh, you know, grid coordinates, if you like. And these grid coordinates can be described by an equation, which is the uh, one of Einstein's uh, field equations. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, Einstein he, he says um, he's got a bunch of equations that relate gravity and um, time and position. And so you can get a whole bunch of these dots, which will describe a uh, an area. They, they call it a manifold, if you will. So it's sort of a, a connected area that each of these dots fits this equation, right. much like you might remember graphing in high school. You'd, mm. you'd, you'd have an equation and you put in numbers and you draw the dots and you connect them up and you get lines. So you could do that with this equation. And under certain values for the variables in this equation, like gravity, for example, these dots will basically start sinking down and then out and you end up with a toroidal shape, like a donut. But that donut is made up of space-time. Mm. It's almost impossible to figure what that would actually mean because you can draw it, and they often do in two dimensions where you see, as I said, a sheet of paper with yeah. a hole punched through it. But that two dimensions is actually four dimensions. In order for this wormhole to exist, there has to be probably like six of them. But what, what, what they're basically saying is that general relativity has a bunch of equations. Given the right numbers, they will describe disparate parts of space-time connecting. Mm, yeah. And the, the exciting thing about this is it's not just space. So, you know, from our planet to another planet, but it's also time. Yeah. So if you, if you sent, if you created a wormhole here on Earth, so you've got two ends of it, and you sent one end of it away at the speed of light and then brought it back at the speed of light, it will have aged less time than the one that stayed on Earth. So it will actually appear back in time. Yeah. And so if you travel through the end of the wormhole that you're at, you will appear out the other side at a different time, even though you're in the same space. Yeah. So you could actually have a time machine, which is, I think Stephen Hawking has pointed out that this is why it's not going to work because you'd end up having it just explode with a, a feedback loop of energy going through it. But I mean, that's, that's all one thing. But to bring it back to the movie though, they had these aliens represented as these sort of swirling black, masses and the nice thing about that what that implies because they swirled through space as well as through yeah. atmosphere and so forth is black means there's no light emitting from them so you could imagine if they can fold space time and manipulate like that then they exist within these sort of pockets mm. and that is exactly the sort of thing you'd need in order to maintain a stable wormhole mm. yeah. you need to be able to manipulate the curvature of space-time in that fashion. And it's thought you can do this, but you'd need this stuff called exotic matter. And exotic matter is basically stuff made out of anything, something that isn't atoms and neutrons and, and electrons and so forth that we know of. In, in other words, it's unobtainium. Yeah. But these guys here, able to bend a reality like they do, could probably come up with it. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, it's quite a nicely cohesive arrangement they've got. I don't know what sort of research this guy, uh, what's his name, Hasraf Dulul. 
has, they call him. Has, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if there's research he did to, to cover this, but uh, I haven't looked through some of his, his background stuff, and he's, he's quite technologist. Yeah. So he's, he probably would have done a bit there, but it's, it's quite nice to think of that. And, and the wormhole thing they do, uh, you know, and I, I kind of personally love it, it's always a personal preference, is like time travel. You know? And yeah. so the, they, there is the impression that when Jessica goes through and back, even though it's seven days, it seems like she's got about, they, I think they say she's got seven years of memory yeah, or, or something. Five or, years or something. Or something. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot more data in her brain uh, and the ship is more damaged. We have the, the guy that rescues the ship that sort of says, oh, the ship was had all these black marks and bumps and dumps, like it's been gone for years, not yeah. not days. And then her memory is showing up data that might be, yeah, five or six or whatever. And, of years and that would make sense in yeah. terms of this wormholes. Wormholes are kind of they're science fiction. Yeah, they like, are. We, we've got them theorised. We've got them theorised. We've got the mass that shows that it's theoretically possible under very specific conditions some of those conditions do require a singularity of gravity. So like a black hole. I reckon yeah. black holes could, in fact, be where wormholes are. And they yeah. could be wormholes. They could some be wormholes, sort. yeah, yeah. Uh, and they could, in fact, go to different universes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Universes in terms of um, collections of space-time yeah, yeah. disconnected from our own. Yeah. Rather than that folded piece of paper you yeah. punch through, you're actually punching through one piece of paper to another. Yes. And yeah. there could be different, slightly different cosmological constant, for example which might give an effect of, of rapid time. Yeah. Or it could be that you know, the other end of the wormhole was still travelling yeah. at the same time that she did, so you've got some time dilation yes. going on there. Yeah. So I, did, I did like early in the film when they said wormhole and we've got that character who's the astrophysicist, I think. Yes. Is he, is it, is it, I think that's what his title is. Yeah, but he says... Oh, they, 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 the space agency, they're like, oh, it's a wormhole. And he goes, I don't think it's a wormhole. <laughs> like, it's like, and it, theoretically, it but I don't think it's a wormhole. Like, it was, yeah. it was I, I liked that part because, like, oh, he's the expert on this sort yeah. of stuff. And he's saying, no. And then when they were saying about sending the humans, he's like, it's so fragile. Like, who would, you can't send yeah. a human through it. You and know, they, like, the they're just going to die. Yeah. yeah. Who knows if a human body would exist, you know, like, he's sort of, yeah, I liked that kind of theory that he was posing that a human probably wouldn't make it through, you know, which made sense also to the narrative. But again, like you're saying, has doing some research. I think he he did, you know. In fact, the science he, he felt he gave enough real gave you know, enough to there, me. You know, he's, he's obviously walked the science fiction line there, but yeah. he's given enough uh, reason to to you know suspend that disbelief to go, okay, no, you've you've got these bodies, they're in graphene casings, and we know mm. that graphene is is incredibly strong and it has peculiar um electrical conductivity and heat conductivity processes and you know it's it's kind of you kind of go okay that's there was was a lot of there was a lot of details like that's what i mean like with the wormhole we you know we're having experts tell us it's fine and then we have another experts telling us not fine with the human 2.0 we've got the people they create as you're saying the, the substance of the suit but then at the same time they're saying Oh, I remember there was that scene where she says, oh, you might notice that it's breathing mm. and it doesn't need to breathe. But we found that the brain works better if it thinks it's breathing. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's a nice touch. That, that's kind of, they're, ex- they're over-explaining this machine because in another film they could just go, oh, you put a brain in, it works, it's all good. And, that, and that's also why I liked, you know, the fact that the first guy died. Like 
in our reality in 2019, you know, we have these amazing, uh, you know, scientists and doctors and surgeries, but they don't always work, you know, whereas in a Hollywood film or in a traditional film, oh, you know, the actors transferred and it works first time. So there was a lot of this sort of explaining of the technology. And then even when they sent the spaceship up with Jessica and the, the soldier, Remember the 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 um the space agency guy said, oh well we were this r- rocket was in, intended for humans, but they're not humans, so we've stripped it. We've yeah. taken out all the technology that is needed for humans, like oxygen and this. And in fact, it's really light now, and so it didn't really matter to the narrative, but it was a nice touch to right. it's sort of explaining the reality of it. You know, it gave you the reassurance that they are intending for Jessica and this guy to return. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they could load in a whole bunch more fuel. And that's things, right. Yeah. Is, yeah. Which is quite important. And, and, that, and that's one of the big things that holds us back from space travel is that yeah, the, we've the got that, that paradox of yeah. to get more thrust to leave, you need yep. more fuel, yep. but the more fuel you're carrying, the more thrust you need to get that fuel out. <laughs> out yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why we need, you know, space stations where the rockets can fuel up and then, and then you know, the, and stuff in like the that. moon because the moon's yeah. got much lower gravity and yeah, so but it has a reserve a of, of minerals. Yeah, so maybe there could be a base there. But Any they, other science that you wanted well, to pick I on? Just, sorry, just going to say that the little bit there where Jessica is considering and she goes and has a look at the body that she's going to go into and she's concerned about the uh, emotional mm. aspects of it. Mm. And it's something that a lot of transhuman discussion doesn't really go into is the fact that it's we we sort of go off this uh, old and I think it's an old assumption that the brain is basically just a complicated computer with wiring mm. and electricity, but the reality is our brain and in particular our thought and emotion is not nearly as under our control as we think. It's actually uh, under the control of a lot of hormones. Mm. It's the hormones yeah. which kick off. Uh, emotion and pleasure and distress and all of these things which then color the way we think and yeah. act and respond and all the brain hormones, kind of responds to that those things sometimes doesn't it and those you know, hormones like, come from our stomach yeah and from movement and from air pressure and so taking the brain out of the body you're probably not going to have the same person even if you've got that brain working and thinking being disconnected from the fear, slight feeling of discomfort in their left foot, mm. the uh, the meal they just ate that was, you know, high fat and so it's making them feel a little bit sleepy, yeah. or the um, the nightmare they've woken up from, giving them an upset stomach and tight feeling in their chest, which makes them feel a bit anxious and panicky. Yeah, yeah. they're not going to have that. Yeah, so they would only have memories of emotions, and unless we can simulate these everyday discomforts and stimuli. And then also produce synthetically or through electrical stimulation in some way, these hormonal responses in a truly accurate simulation of that person's original body. You're just going to have a different creature. Yeah, like it's it's going to be you know, post-human, yeah. as it were. Like yeah. it used to be human, now it is something else, and who knows what it's going to turn into or how it's going to develop. Yeah, uh, whether it will be effectively psychotic, having no pleasure or pain responses, I don't know. Yeah. But it was yeah. interesting that they, they kind of, they didn't have enough time to, to explore all of these things. So yeah. she, but she did raise that question. She was concerned that she wouldn't have emotional range and they assured her. They said, oh, no, no, you will. So I'm guessing, yeah, they have synthetic hormones that they just 
blindsided with mm. occasionally. Every so often she'll just be irritable and she won't know why or, <laughs> or she'll just be happy. And yeah. you know, so I say, like, why are you so happy? I don't know. It just feels like a really nice day. You know, like, you know, or she'll see but, a cute and, kitten and go, oh. Yeah. But also I suppose, like you say, we, we, we do respond to our body you know, cold, hot, mm. you know, touch, you know, you, you know, someone touches you, you might recall or you might actually like lean more into it and, and depending on the person or the situation and stuff. And yeah, if it is cold, that could set someone else and they fear, like they get, they get afraid, you know, where someone else is like, oh, cold, who cares? But, um, and I do, I do think that again with the human 2.0, like when Jessica comes in, they do that in a couple of ways. You know, you see, she really is, focusing on touch like she's touching yeah. her fingers and then when she talks you know we did speak about this before and it's and then they sort of revealed to us oh the voice box has failed uh you know which again is a bit of a nightmare isn't it? as a human like imagining waking up in a body but your voice can't talk you know yeah, it like, sounds you know, different yeah it's a nightmare really you know and then it's like you know we have this robotic going on um it's a nice feeling in that in the film because it, again it's that real sort of realistic if this was if this was real these would be the challenges that as a human we would face wouldn't we you know so what is it like to be transplanted into a body tell us what were your thoughts about the various techniques they used in telling this story or the or the camera work or what about music because it wasn't it wasn't much of music i don't think it was a music score at all in this one being that it was Documentary style. Oh no, it was still there. It was still there. Yeah, there so, was a music score. <laughs> totally, I, totally I actually like this one. This was the music score was very moody and it, it did suit. So I mean, yeah, I mean it can remove you from the documentary style, but um, no, the moody music was in this film. It beat it beated pretty well to the drama that was being revealed. There was a sound motive for the Human 2.0. So it was a bit of a freaky, eerie sound that they added in. So a motive, of course, reoccurs throughout a film. And what did you think? And maybe if there's anyone out there listening can let us know, what about the space agency prompt? And that oh, was no. with a sound motive. You know, there was a sort of like a beep. dump kind of mm. beep. Uh, it reminded me of the old school, like when we were kids, when yeah. I was a kid in the 80s, when TV went off at night and you had the colour bars and the, you know, the yeah, sort of, there was like a big kind of... Yeah. Circle with the, that's the, right. the grid pattern and the colour bars. Pattern. That, that's what I'm talking about. And even as a, in being involved in filmmaking before digital, it used to be colour bars to kind of make sure your, your film was on the right colour scheme for the broadcast. So, then again, and with that beep sound, there was a beep sound... I think they were probably playing off a little bit of, you know, NASA and the European Space Agency logo kind of idea. You know, they, mm. you know, this was a fictional. It looked space like a, a compass point yeah, with the yeah. north yeah. coloured. But, but did that did, did that sort of jar you at all during the film? The fact that there was like beep. No, I know. Beep, I know, you know some like, people have complained about that. Like after the movie, I, I sort of looked at a couple uh, reviews of people's comments on it and. A couple of people said that they thought it was ridiculous, but I think I I, it didn't bother me at all. And I'm just trying to think of whether it enhanced the experience. I think it did enhance it a little bit. I think it was overused in a couple of spots because if we were watching a documentary, they wouldn't leave that in. But when they're pulling stock footage, say, from the satellites and they're mixing in different footage sources... During the um, development process, the production was they would have, like like I said, like a, a test pattern 
That's right. In order to say, oh, you know, show up, this is what this section of film is going to have in its car and you can match them. Yeah. Uh, so it, I did I did think it was a little bit odd, but at the time I was watching it, uh, didn't it, it didn't bother me and it, it did reinforce the fact that we weren't watching a drama. Yeah, I, I think for me it was a, it actually was good because it added, it was because where, where he placed them, uh, it was kind of, to me, I was kind of getting that feeling that things were getting out of control, things were getting a bit lost, like a TV station. You know, we've seen mm. in other films you know, that idea of like aliens coming and invading and TV stations being switched off. And it's, you know, like people are so used to TV being on now 24 7. So it was kind of a bit more realistic to me that, you know, okay, there are all these big things happen, boom, there's no more footage. You know, yeah. so it kind of added to that idea. That's what I felt from it. And there was a sound, you know, beep and that that kind of matched it. He really used some real footage in the film as well. So yeah, there was some that. real space footage. There was some real astronaut footage. I did, that was, it was really there well was mixed, mixed in, in that's because, what I'm, Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say is that it, not only sometimes we can use that and it's a bit abstract, but it was mixed very well. Mm. Again, I think being the fact that his background is visual effects. It, it, he knows what he's doing there, you know, so... And that whole landing, you know, in the ocean and that, that was that was stock footage. So um, he really mixed that in very well, I thought. Yeah. Um, so for a lot, you know, for a lower budget film to use that kind of footage and get away with it, it it's great. Because a lot of times I've seen that stock footage being used in films and it, it's yeah. often of a lower quality yeah, and a lower right. grade. Yeah. yeah. And it just, it, they often do it with riots. Yes. You know, like yeah, the, yeah. Zombie apocalypse is broken out, and they show quick little news flashes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. And they're just sort of reusing old riot footage yeah. from. And there was the riot right footage in this film, but it, yeah. it seemed to match. You know, it was right. kind of a bit abstract. The people were in red shirts, and they were kind of throwing things at a military thing. And because I, I think it worked. The, the the whole rest of the footage, because it was keeping it a documentary style, was kept at a a television yeah. quality. So yeah. a lot of this stock footage he was using, it was easy to blend it in there. Yeah. Without yeah. it looking like it was obviously going to stock footage. Yeah. It looked like... And and in the cases where it kind of was a bit stock, it was done as stock yeah. footage. And because it's documentary, they're, they're trying to pull up yeah, maybe suitable vision. Yeah, off. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't capture everything in a, in a documentary. No. Sometimes you go, well, we don't know what happened there, but here's a picture of something like it. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So that I think that worked well. They, they chose good stock footage and news footage and stuff. Uh, for those scenes, as I said, there's space in space, etc. And I mean, I suppose overall we've already talked about it, but the documentary slash mockumentary style, it, it worked. And I think it's, you know, has made an effort to make something different. And when we've these last couple of episodes looking at passengers, looking at lobsters, lobster, sorry, lobsters. <laughs> not lobsters, the, mm, the lobster. Lobsters, yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, got it on the brain now. Uh, but yeah, looking at those films traditionally shot, and then you look at something like this, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, story can surprise you. You know, a film can surprise you. I had no expectations of the style of this film, so sitting down, just watching it the first time, I was like, oh, okay, oh wow, okay, all right, it's a, it's a documentary, all right? And I think that's an and important me in. part of why we're doing this. And I'd certainly encourage anyone who's watching along with us is I purposely avoid looking at any critical reviews. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, in fact, have avoided trailers Yep. Uh, for, for any of this. And I look at just the, the briefs of one sentence yeah. and saying yeah. what it is. And, and I go in that way 
and then this is what, what we term joy watching. Where you go in with the intention of enjoying the film. Correct. You go and go in there with expectations of it being any particular way. Mm. Because if you expect it to be, if you expect it to beyond to be Independence Day. Yeah. Then you'd, you'd be, be totally disappointed. You'd be going, well, that's not what I wanted. Yeah. I wanted aliens blowing up big buildings. Yeah, yeah. Um, or if you thought, you know, the passengers was going to be Titanic in space. Yeah. Yeah, again, you'd be disappointed. You would be. So it's, it is something I've, I've gone in with these three films of just open mind, intent to enjoy, and don't read what other people have said about it because that will colour what you say, what you see anyway. And hopefully this pays off because I've got a, a couple of films coming up that I have seen before uh, a while ago, and then but there's most of them I haven't seen before. Yeah. So it'll be good. It's a good way of making sure I enjoy them. Yes, definitely, definitely. Okay, yeah. so I'm a uh, incredibly intelligent and extremely beautiful listener of Space Brains, which is all of our listeners all are. All of our listeners are. Yes, it's well known fact. In fact, it's it's documented. Heavily, it's the, the greatest listeners we've ever had. What should I look at? What should I watch in order to be prepared for next episode? So the next film? Yeah, is... what's the next film? <laughs> the next film is Equals. So, yeah, that's the show, I think, for tonight. Sorry. It's been great talking about The Beyond. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Different type of science fiction film. Check it out. Let us know what you think. We'll say goodbye. See ya. See ya.